We are finishing up our uh, series on Proverbs uh, this morning, and uh, next week, uh, coinciding with the beginning of Lent, we're going to be focusing on the Lord's Prayer uh, for the next six to seven weeks and uh, learning a bit about how Jesus told us to pray. So uh, as we finish up Proverbs this morning, I want to invite you uh, to give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Today's reading is from the book of Proverbs. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. God, we come to you this morning and we ask uh, that you would be with us as we tend to your word. And that you, Lord, would speak uh, to the crevices and corners of our hearts where we uh, need to hear what you say the most. And would you give us your wisdom? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We are uh, finishing up our series, as I mentioned this morning, and if you haven't been with us, uh, maybe you're at a little bit of a disadvantage, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and review what we say every week, and that is Proverbs is a book about wisdom, and wisdom is not about being smart. Wisdom is skill in navigating life in God's world according to God's word, and wisdom actually begins, Proverbs tells us, with the fear of the Lord. It actually starts when we submit our lives to him and recognize that he, not us, is at the center of the universe. And wisdom, as we've said over and over again, it's a path that we walk. It's not downloaded from the internet. It's not a door you walk through and then suddenly you're wise. Uh, But it is something that characterizes uh, your whole life as a journey. And of course, staying on the path of wisdom, we've said it again and again, is about staying near Jesus. Now, we've talked about wisdom on the topic of pride. We've talked about wisdom on the topic of wealth. We've talked about wisdom and how we use our words. We've talked about wisdom and what Proverbs teaches us about a whole host of topics. And this morning, we come to the topic of friendship. Now, friendship is actually kind of complicated, Because on the one hand, every single one of us would say, friendships are really, really important. But on the other hand, we actually don't give friendship near the amount of attention that we do to romantic love. Think about standing in uh, the checkout line at the grocery store and you see all those magazines, right, that are staring you in the face, right? What do they say on the cover? They don't say, 
so-and-so's friends with so-and-so. Or look who found a new best friend. It's all about who's sleeping with who, who had an affair, who got married, right? It's all about romantic love. Or uh, think about it like this. Take your Spotify uh, playlists, and uh, if you were to kind of organize them according to which songs are about romantic love and which songs are about friendship... Uh, you'd probably have a billion playlists about romantic love. You might have one, maybe a couple of songs in that playlist about friendship, right? We give way more attention to romantic love. And in fact, uh, years ago, uh, there was a woman named Carrie English, and she wrote uh, an essay, a little article in the Boston Globe that, that went viral. And you may remember this. The title of it was A Bridesmaid's Lament. Now, the article is not what you think, because what you think it's going to be about is like, why am I always the bride's way to never, never the bride? But it's actually a protest about friendship. And this is what she writes. However much our society may pay lip service to friendship, the fact remains that the only love it considers important, important enough to merit a huge public celebration, is romantic love. So which is it? Is friendship really, really vital and really, really important? Or is friendship a consolation prize for those of us who don't get married? You see, there's a complicated uh, aspect to talking about this topic. But that's not the only reason it's complicated. Another reason that it's complicated is there are so many different types of friends. We have our childhood friends. We have our work friends. We have our Facebook friends. We have our crossfitting friends. We have our cycling friends. We have our dance friends. We have our video game friends. Like, we got all kinds of different friends, and we should celebrate the variety of friendships that we have. Uh, but this diversity is actually not new. And thinking well about the different types of friendships is not new either. In fact, in the, in the 12th century, there was a monk by the name of Elrid of Riveau. And he wrote a book called Spiritual Friendship. And in that book, uh, he he talks about three different types of friendship. The first is what he calls carnal friendship. And he doesn't mean sinful. What he means is friendships that are based on a shared pleasure. We like the same movies or we have the same hobbies. And what characterizes these friendships is they exist in one realm... But those friends don't have access to you in any other realm. And they're good, and they can be a blessing, right? But it's a certain type of friendship. And then the, the, the second one that he talks about is what he calls worldly friendship. And again, he doesn't, he doesn't mean sinful. What he means is, this is the type of friendship that's not based on a shared pleasure, but rather a relationship of mutual benefit. So you think you're study buddies, all right, you might not hang out with them outside, but like you study together because it's mutually beneficial to you. Or those of you who are great at networking, it's a type of friendship that you have. But it's really all about the mutual benefit that you bring to one another. And, you know, you can sort of ask, like, is this costing me too much? Am I getting enough benefit out of this? But the last one that Aylred of Riveau talks about is what he calls spiritual friendship. And he says, spiritual friendship doesn't ask, like, how am I benefiting from this? Or is this costing too much? But rather, how can we 
seek the holy together? And how can I learn to love you? And Elrid of Ravo says the deepest friendships that you can experience are built around connecting with one another over the ultimate meaning and purpose of life, which he says is God and his love. Now hang on to that because we're going to get back to that towards the end. But my question is this, what does Proverbs teach us about friendship? What wisdom does it bring to the table that you and I need to hear in all the complicated contexts in which we talk about this subject? And this is the first thing I want us to see. Proverbs tells us, if you want to be wise, you're going to need good friends. Now, the first and last verses that are printed for you here are like the guardrails for what I'm going to be saying. So look at the last one, Proverbs 27, 17. This is a famous one. You've probably heard it if you're new to the Christian faith. You're familiar with this line. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. And it's widely recognized as a proverb about friendship. And what it's saying is, with no friends in your life, good friends, you actually remain dull and unrealized. You'll never become what you were supposed to be. You'll never flourish without friends. Now look at the first one that's printed for you. Proverbs 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So it's not just any kind of friends, but wise friends that will help you grow in wisdom. And that proverb uses this imagery of walking, which we've seen again and again. And it's a metaphor for doing life. Living life is walking a path. And if you want to walk the path of wisdom, you're going to have to walk it with others. Now, let me say this as an aside. Uh, The Bible calls us, God calls us to love and serve all kinds of people. This isn't an excuse to live this secluded, insular, cliquish kind of life, sequestered from people who you don't think are wise enough to walk with you along the path of wisdom. But what it is saying is this, is if you have no real friends... Or you only have fools as traveling companions. Don't think you're going to get very far on the path of wisdom. Now let me tease this out in two ways before I move on to my second point. Fundamentally, Proverbs is saying this to you and me. You can't go it alone. There is no such thing as Rambo Christianity. Do y'all remember Rambo (laughs) and Sylvester Stallone? You know, after Rocky Balboa, like Rambo was it. And what was Rambo all about? Doing it by himself, right? That's what made him such a great hero. But there is no such thing as Rambo Christianity. Proverbs says if you want to be wise, you're going to have to have some traveling companions who are on the path with you. If wisdom was purely intellectual, you could go isolate yourself and read for years. And you'd be wise. That may, may, that may help you be smart, but it will not bring you wisdom. If you want wisdom, you need other people in your life to help shape you, help you see past your blind spots, encourage you, walk the path with you. You need friends. Now, there's a whole lot in our lives that works against building friendships. And most of us say, you know, I, I, I would love to have deep friends, but 
I'm just so busy right now. Right? I, I'm, 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 I'm busy with school. I'm busy with my startup. I'm busy with driving my kids to soccer practice and piano lessons and being unpaid Uber driver. I'm busy with building up my Twitter following. And yeah, I mean, we, we live busy lives. But I think the deeper reason is we have very busy hearts. Our hearts are busy with fears and frustrations and disappointments and sorrows and heartaches. And we don't feel like there's a safe place to actually reveal these. You know, this isn't rocket science, but many of us live behind walls of thick, thick self-protection. And often for good reason, because we've been deeply hurt. We've been betrayed. We've had our trust trampled on. So you know what we do? We hide and we fill our schedule with all sorts of things. We don't have to think about the fact that nobody really sees us. Nobody knows us at all. But there's something even more troubling I think, and uh, this was something pointed out by uh, a scholar named Robert, I think it's Bella or Bella, uh, who used to teach at UC Berkeley. And Robert Bella uh, wrote a book uh, almost, I guess, 30, maybe 40 years ago now called Habits of the Heart. And he was looking at American life and our commitment to individualism. And uh, he uses this phrase that I think is incredibly helpful. The saying, the environment we live in teaches us to strive for the unencumbered self. What does he mean by that? It means no person, no institution, no obligation is to be allowed to get in the way of me being me. Does that sound familiar? And if it does get in the way of me being me, then... I'll either minimize my involvement or I will opt out altogether. And loads of research subsequent to the writing of Habits of Heart has borne this out. And one of the things that's highlighted is this, is you have a choice to make. And that choice is between the unencumbered self and deep friendships. You can't have both. If you choose friendship... Yourself will get encumbered. But if you're committed to self above all else, do you know what you choose? You choose loneliness. And isn't it interesting that in a world where we are more connected than ever before, we are the loneliest generation that we've ever observed? Because you're never going to flourish. All on your own. You've got to let somebody in. And here's the, the second thing we've got to draw out on this first point is the people you choose to let in, they will shape you. So it's vital that you choose wisely. You know, there's this myth in our culture that goes something like this. You are who you choose to be. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. All that matters is what you think. What you think about yourself defines you. But frankly, that's unbelievably naive because the people you let into your life have an enormous influence on your self-understanding. Not denying that we have responsible agency and understanding ourselves, but we would be fools to think that those who walk life's path with us don't actually affect how we understand ourselves and and, and how we process life. Influence the way we think about dating, 
the way we think about marriage, the way we think about parenting, the way we think about work-life balance, the way we think about how to handle conflict. And that makes it all the more important that you have close friends who are committed to the path of wisdom with you. It's the only way you're going to flourish. Now, let me say um, a word about um, something that, that many of us think is a good substitute for friends. And that is therapy and life coaches and mentors. And I just want to say this, be really clear. Therapists can be great. Mentors can be great. Life coaches can be great. Even pastors could be kind of okay every once in a while, right? But none of these people walk through life with you. In fact, in many cases, you're paying them to be your advocate. And that's great. And that's beautiful. But a friend is someone who does life with you. And you need wise ones if you're going to be wise. And so that raises the question, what does Proverbs teach us about what makes a good friend? What kind of friendship will help you walk the path of wisdom? And this is both what kind of friends do I need and what kind of friend am I called to be if I'm going to walk the path of wisdom? What are, put it in a word, are the features of good friendship? And, you know, in one sense, uh, the answer to that is very simple, and it's found in a single word. And that word is love. But, of course, we just sloppily throw that word around all the time. We actually need wisdom on what love is and what it looks like in a friendship. And Proverbs actually gives that to us. And so I want to talk about four things, four features that we find in the book of Proverbs. Forgiveness, faithfulness understanding, and truth-telling. And every one of them is a feature of love. It's wisdom on how love is worked out in the context of a friendship. So let's start first with forgiveness. I mean, it's so easy to slide right past this one. But look at Proverbs seventeen nine. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. To cover an offense is to forgive it. And no friendship has any chance of survival without forgiveness. Because all friendships are imperfect. And yeah, I mean, there are times when the offense is so egregious that you're going to have to do a good bit of work uh, to work through it. But good friends operate with a posture of forgiveness towards one another. Why? Because love covers A multitude of transgressions. This is what this means. A good friend is someone who isn't easily offended. They're not not touchy. They're not always pointing out how you're failing them or hurting them. And when there really is a wrong done and you've worked it out, they don't keep bringing it up. Not to you and definitely not to others. And if you're a good friend... You don't do that either. Because good friendship seeks love. And with genuine love always comes forgiveness. A willingness to cover over an offense. And some fences can be covered over without being dealt with. And some fences are covered over with forgiveness enacted between the two people. My best friends in the world uh, are a group of four guys that I meet together with every year. And we have a monthly phone call, and then we talk all the time in between. And we have traveled life together. 
And when I think about our relationship, one thing sticks out above all else is a shared history of forgiveness. Of asking and receiving it and of having it asked of us and giving it. And it's one of the most delightful things that you can experience in human relationships. So the first feature is forgiveness. Here's the second one, faithfulness. Every one of us, I think, has this deep desire in our heart for someone to be committed to us. But most of us can only conceive of that in terms of romantic love, which is why we're so obsessed with marriage in our culture. But loyalty and devotion and faithfulness is exactly how Proverbs characterizes deep friendship. Look at chapter 17, verse 17. A friend loves when it's convenient. No, a friend loves when it suits their schedule. No, it says a friend loves at all times. There are people in your life who will love you when you're fun, who will love you when you're interesting, who will love you when you're the life of the party, who will love you when you make them laugh, who will love you when you're happy and pleasant, but not when you're sad, or not when you're angry, or not when you're depressed, not when you're boring, not when you're running on empty or feel like doing nothing or sharing nothing. And it's kind of a downer to realize this, but we need to, is that many of the people in our lives place great limits on their love. They'll say, I'll walk with you this far and for this long, but no further and no longer because I can't get all dragged down in your drama. But a true friend loves at all times. In 1824, puts it like this. A man of many companions may come to ruin. Like you'd be surrounded with people who are companions. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I love that word sticks. You know what? You know how it's translated in other places in the Bible? Cleave. Is that setting off any, anything in your mind? Genesis 2.24, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. It's language of devotion. It's language of loyalty. It's language of faithfulness. It's language of the covenant. And Proverbs is saying a good friend is like that. It's also the word that was used when Ruth declared her loyalty to Naomi. You remember this story? We looked at this uh, last spring. Naomi's life is a total train wreck. And uh, she's going back home and she's telling her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, like, don't come with me. Don't bear this burden, right? You don't need to carry this. Go home. Go back to your place. And Orpah goes and they hug and kiss. But Ruth clings to her, cleaves to her and says, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. I am in this with you, and you can't shake me, right? That's faithfulness. And, and in fact, uh, it's, it's kind of like startling if you read this in an ancient Near Eastern context, is that it's essentially saying there's a type of friend who can be devoted to you in a deeper way than a biological sibling. It's shocking in that world because it was much more familial than ours. And you think about it, like a sibling is stuck with you, right? They didn't choose you, right? They're just stuck with you. But a true friend, they choose you. I'm committed to you. I'm faithful to you. So some of you, you've experienced this and you know the value of it. You have someone in your life who relentlessly shows up. 
They show up when you're suffering. They show up when you're sad. They come looking for you when you've disappeared and gone to MIA for a bit because they've chosen to. They also show up to celebrate your joys with you because they've chosen to. They even show up when things are hard for them because they've chosen to. They show up because they're faithful and they're committed to you. Lots of people can say that you're your friend, but those who actually demonstrate this kind of devotion, it's a rare gift. And that's why Proverbs 26 says, 20 verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. A faithful friend, someone you can count on, who's dependable, who's reliable. You can trust they will be there for you, even if it costs them something. Because that's the loyalty and faithfulness that characterizes deep friendship. And here's the thing about that kind of faithful love. It carries burdens. And you know what that means? That means our heavy things. To be friends with you, they have to get weighted down by your heavy things. And for you to be a friend to them, you have to get weighted down by their heavy things. Some of you know uh, the story of Jackie Robinson and Pee Wee Reese. Jackie Robinson was the first African-American to play Major League Baseball in the United States. And his first few seasons were horrendous as he was mocked and jeered and scorned everywhere he went. Even in his own team's town and called awful things. And there's an event that's very famous. It's now commemorated by a a statue. And um, not sure if it happened in 1947 or or 48, but somewhere around there is that during one game, Jackie Robinson had made some sort of error and the crowd is just all over him. And there he is all alone at first base. Only African-American in the whole Major League Baseball system. And they're just coming at him hard. And his friend, Pee Wee Reese, who played shortstop, walked across the baseball diamond, stood by Jackie Robinson and put his arm around him and looked at the crowd until eventually it grew quiet. And Jackie Robinson said, that arm around my shoulder saved my career. Jackie Robinson was the hero, but he made it in part because of a good friend. What was Pee Wee Reese doing? He was sticking by. Jackie Robinson, he was clinging to him, even at risk to himself. He was taking some of his heavy things and letting it weigh on him because that's what faithful love does. And Proverbs says that is a feature of deep friendship. So we have forgiveness, we have faithfulness. Here's the third thing, understanding. A true friend may not always agree with you, but they get you. That's because when someone is committed to you and loves you, they want to know you. They want to understand you. They're emotionally connected to you. And listen to some of the things Proverbs says. Proverbs 25 verse 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on on soda. And you're like, what? Well, in Hebrew, this is how it reads. Removing a garment on a cold day, vinegar on soda, singing songs to a troubled heart. And you're like, what's the point? Well, here's the point. If you're trying to warm yourself, taking off your coat when it's cold doesn't help. Okay? So also, singing a jingle to a depressed person 
is not going to help. The second comparison, vinegar, which is an acid, reacts violently when it's mixed with soda and alkali, suggests that singing to a depressed person can make things worse. A friend knows you so well, they know what you need in the moment. They don't hammer a tender conscience and they don't shame a sad soul. They understand you, they get you, they're emotionally connected. Or how about this one, 26, 18 and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. You know that drill where someone is like, they, they've ribbed at that thing in you and then you're like, uh, and they're like, come on, lighten up, you know? So what a friend does. They don't brush aside what hurts you. They don't laugh it off. They take you seriously and they actually treat you with sensitivity and respect. And if you're a good friend, you do the same. Or how about this one? 25, 17. It says, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. I love this one, right? Because you know what it's saying? A true friend knows when to give you space. They don't crowd you or smother you, right? Or come in like, how can I help? How you doing? How you doing? And they're like all up in your face. You're like, I just want to be left alone right now. You know, a true friend knows, back off. Give them space. This isn't about me and how I feel in my helping, right? This is about you and my care for you. And I know that right now, you might just want to be alone, right? Friend understands because they love and they take the time to get you by getting to know you. And here's the last one. And maybe this is the one that we need to think about the most. Truth-telling. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You know, love is not blanket affirmation. Sometimes love wounds. Not out of spite, not out of anger, not when you're finally fed up, but for the other's good. A friend will wound you if you need it by telling you the truth. Because a true friend is willing to say the hard thing. You know, we like to talk a lot about safe spaces in our cultural moment. And there's, there's a very uh, important sense in, in, in which it's really vital to understand why those are necessary. But what sometimes happens is we just mean I don't want to be uncomfortable. And safe spaces like this code for a place where no one disagrees with you. But that's not true friendship. And that's actually not a safe space. Do you know what a safe space is? A safe space is where someone affirms the good in you, confronts the bad in you, and says, I'm going to be with you and for you no matter what. The wounds of a friend, Proverbs tells us, can be trusted. Now, I've had friends confront me in my life. And you know what? It always hurts. Always. Every single time. But it's as if they're looking me in the eye and say, hey, I love you and I'm about to prove it to you. And that brings a sweetness to this, a sweetness that Proverbs describes as oil and perfume that makes the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. 
A true friend is someone who's willing to risk the friendship because they actually love you. And they know you need to hear the hard thing. It might be the case right now that the one person in your life who you are punishing the most because they said the hard thing might be the only true friend you have. And you need to run to them and figure it out together. A true friend will say the hard thing. And if you are a true friend, you will say the hard thing. Tending to the right time and the right tone as we've talked about the use of our words. But you do it out of love and you do it for the flourishing of another. So here we are. Forgiveness, faithfulness, understanding, and truth-telling. Do you have friends like this in your life? And are you a friend to anyone like this? You know, I know some of you right now might be feeling a bit panicky inside. You're like saying, I don't know if I have any good friends. You know, you're freaking out. And others of you are like spiraling into despair because you're like, I don't know if I can be a friend like this. I'm not sure I'm up for it. But I bet every single one of us, some level or layer in our heart is like, I feel like to be a good friend, I need some good friends. So how do we not all get consumed by our neediness? It's like we're all looking at each other and saying, you go first, right? And here's where we have good news. God actually breaks the stalemate and he says, I will go first. The deepest friendships with one another actually begin when Jesus overwhelms our hearts with his friendship. There is this thin thread that runs throughout the story of scripture that thickens as the story unfolds. And it's about friendship with God. Abraham is called the friend of God in Isaiah 41.8. Moses is called the friend of God in Exodus 33.11. The Psalms tell us the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and we're supposed to walk this path of wisdom together, that means the deepest friendships between people are rooted in an experience of the friendship of God. And the friendship of God actually took on flesh for us. In the person of Jesus, the son of God. You know, the gospels tell us that Jesus was called not just the friend of the disciples, but friend of sinners. We sang about that a little earlier in our service. It characterized his whole ministry and that became his reputation. Because he was always befriending the scoundrel and the outcast and the moral reject and the forgotten and the lost. He drew near to the people that no one wanted to draw near to. He came close to and befriended those no one thought worthy of love. And as he gathers his disciples on the night before he was crucified, he he tells them in John chapter 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Jesus is inviting his followers, into his plan and his purposes for the renewal of the world. And then he says, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did. 
Jesus demonstrates his ultimate friendship by laying down his life for sinners, for friends. This deepens and intensifies our understanding of friendship in profound ways. His friendship is the ultimate expression of faithfulness. He wasn't devoted to us because we were devoted to him. Exactly the opposite. We rejected him. We left him. And he knew we would. But he still said, I choose you. I'm going to show up for you. Even if it costs me everything. And Jesus literally carried your burdens with him to the cross. Taking the weight of your sin and your shame and everything on his shoulders. Saying the whole time, I love you, I love you, I love you. I put no limits on my love. And his, his friendship is the ultimate expression of understanding. He gets you. He's never unsure what to do with you. He's tender with you when you need tenderness. He's tough when you need it to be tough. And he's never surprised. It's not like Jesus is hanging on the cross and all his disciples had left him. And he's like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. I don't know you were going to do that. Right? He knew. He knew the whole time. He gets us. His friendship's the ultimate expression of truth-telling He tells us who we really are and he makes us something new. It's the ultimate expression of forgiveness. The deepest friendships with one another begin when Jesus overwhelms our hearts with his friendship. But hear me me clearly. Even with Jesus as your ultimate friend, you still need other friendships. Why? Because that's how you're going to walk the path of wisdom. And because Jesus says, I want you to go love each other the way I have loved you. You see how that puts like a gospel twist on our friendships? So it's not about what serves the unencumbered self, but about what enacts the fullness of love that Jesus has given to us in the gospel. That's the standard that we're to measure our friendships by. That's the pattern. And here's the deal. When you've experienced the friendship of the Lord, it does two things for you. On the one hand, it allows you to receive friendship. Imperfect, flawed, and inconsistent friends, because that's the only kind there are, you receive them with gratitude. Do you know why most friendships crumble? They crumble under the weight of impossible expectations. No one could ever do enough. No one ever can get it right. Always something to complain about. And you get absorbed in self-pity. And almost nothing ruins a relationship more thoroughly than self-pity. I was talking to someone this past week about friendship. And she said one of the things she notices, both in others and in herself, is how quickly we throw someone away because they said the hard thing. Or something we don't like. Or use the wrong tone. And she said, can we allow our friends to be in process too? Can we give them the opportunity to say, I'm sorry? Can we give them the space to grow? When you've experienced the friendship of the Lord, you can actually be patient with your friends. Because there is one who cares. There is one who understands. There is one who is loyal and faithful to you. He is for you. He tells you the truth. He lays down his life for you. And then your friendships won't crumble under the weight of impossible expectations. But here's the other thing that the friendship of the Lord does for you. It enables you to extend friendship. Imperfectly, flawed, and inconsistent, of course. But truly and genuinely, nevertheless, 
Even when it's hard, even when you're tired, even when you're hurting. Because you have been loved and you are loved and you will always be loved. And you can go to that well again and again to be filled so that you have some strength and energy to pour yourself out and move towards other in genuine friendship. What kind of friends do you have in your life? What kind of friend are you? Do you see Jesus as the ultimate friend? And do you see the need to walk with others in this this path of wisdom that involves friendship with him and with one another? You, You can't go out and schedule this for next week. Do you know what I mean by that? Whenever someone says like, hey, let's get together at 2 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. We're going to have a rich and meaningful time together. Ah, like, it's like, oh, the neediness is about to consume us all. You know, you know how it happens, right? When you begin to begin filled by the love of God in Christ for you, and you begin to move towards others and extend friendship, and they reciprocate. And over time, you discover what Elred of Revo Revos said which is the deepest friendships that we experience are built around connecting with one another about what is ultimate, which is God and his love. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for your wisdom. And we pray for ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to believe. Uh, Lord, that we might walk in the path of wisdom. And God, we pray for good friends. And we pray that we would be good friends. But ultimately we ask, Lord, that we would more deeply experience uh, your friendship to us, your faithfulness and your forgiveness and your understanding and your truth-telling because we desperately need it. Lord, would you do uh, the work in our hearts that only you can do? And would you begin to multiply exponentially uh, the number of deep friendships that we have uh, for your glory for our good, and for the good of the mission that you've entrusted to your church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.